Suppose you could, suppose you could go back and start your life all, all over again. What would that mean? How different would it be? Well, you can't do that. You can't go back. We all know that. But you can start all over. You can find restoration. You can have a restart. You can have a recharge. God specializes in new beginnings. Amen? And thank God for it. We remember, we reflect on that make resolutions. But, but we, we think about that, about this time of year, particularly about this time of year, every year. Every year we say about the same thing. The question is, have things changed that much from last year to this year? Are we any further along now than we were a year ago when we said these same things? How did things change this past year? How do you anticipate things change this next year? I know when we look at the world that's gone crazy in many ways has gone perverse. And when you look at the situation in our country, and I won't go into that, but everyone knows the things that's going on here, then how can you look forward to this another new year with any great anticipation, expectation at all, with any hope and joy at all? I tell you, I tell you how, because you know who God is. And you know what kind of life he, can, he, uh, he provides for you and me, no matter what's going on around us. We hear things like, you know, in this time you hear things like, uh, this is the first day of the rest of your life. It's true. Make the most of it. We hear, uh, live every day like it was your last. And that's, that's, a, that's good too. One thing that... Uh, I've been drawn to over the, particularly the last few weeks is kind of an interesting verse back in Job, the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible. Now, I don't spend very much time in Job. It's not a place where you find a whole lot of encouragement necessarily, but there are some great truths in it and truth about the resurrection. I'm not going to get into theology of it. We know the source of evil is the enemy, Satan, the source of goods, God. I won't go any further than that right now. I'll just say that uh, Job had a rough time of it for a while. And... Uh, some terrible things happened in his life. Uh, great loss, personal loss, his family loss, sickness, all kinds of horrible things. But life turned around for him because God is a God of new beginnings, because God is a God of restoration. The interesting verse in chapter 42 of Job, that I don't want to misapply it, or take it out of context, but I think the truth of it is good for us today. I'll take it. It says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. So I'll say, Lord, I'm believing that you will bless my life more in the coming days than you have in the past days. Any of you interested in that? I thought so. Of course we are. Now, you look at your present situation or maybe what, what seems to be ahead of you that you may have to face, and, and it's hard to take hold and keep that down on the inside of you. You say, well, in my situation, how could my future days be better? And, and that's where faith comes in. 
That's where anticipation of God turning things around in your life. That's where the expectation of miracles take place. That's where no matter where you are or what you're going through right now, you can believe that God is a God of more than enough and that things are going to be better. It may not look like it. Sometimes it may not feel like it, but things will be better because of who he is. Instead of Job says, uh, when, when uh, his life was restored, all of his uh, the things have been taken away from him. So now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. Uh, he also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. Now, uh, well, I won't get into a lot of things here. The point is, in verse 17, it says, Then Job died an old man who had lived a long, full life. So the Lord bless and said, it's been rough back there. Some things have happened. But I'm saying through the blessing of the Lord, you can look forward to a better day. Now for Christians, we know that's an absolute because you got heaven to look forward to. But I believe in living out the kingdom of God that God wants to bless you with the better now before this life ends. So I'm continuing on in the series, which actually is... Uh, making the rest of your life the best of your life. I'm continuing on today talking about seven steps in moving forward in your life. This is just part one of that. We're just going to talk about the first two. So relax. Lunch will not be late today. Uh, as I looked at this, I thought, well, there's seven. There's more, but there's seven really, I think, important things for us to look at in order to plan for, prepare for, and move forward in our spiritual life and in, 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 the, in the will of God for our lives. And... Uh, so I thought, well, you know, as I looked at this, I went to the Word, I studied it, uh, then, then, you know, I was just going to hit it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But then when I got in them, I thought, no, we can't just, we can't just mention these things and fly right on by to the next, because you could take each one of them and sometimes build, I mean, the truth of them so deep and beyond what we could just hit and run. So I, I want us to take just a moment extra on these today on the first two. And I know when I talk about even the title, Seven Steps to Moving Forward, or we could say to a better life, some people, uh, I'm not a motivational speaker, but I am a motivational speaker. Now, my main call is not to be a motivational speaker, but I am called to motivate people. I think it's a gift that, that God has given me. Sometimes people criticize these types of messages and say, well, you need to preach the gospel. All you are is just a motivational speaker. Other pastors get accused of this too. Uh, you, you're just a motivational speaker. You just have, you're just teaching the how-tos. You need to preach the gospel. I know what the gospel is. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about taking steps to improve your life. It's about discovering a brand new life when your sins are gone because of the blood of Jesus, because you have new life, because he's been raised from the dead. This is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and nothing takes place. So in case there might be those who listen to this and say, well, he just doesn't know what the gospel is. I know what the gospel is, and nothing will take its place. However, the Bible's a very motivational book. And the last time I checked it, the Bible has a lot of how-tos in it. So I think we're staying true to the scripture uh, with this. And um, 
Most time people that criticize this are not very motivational. Last week we talked about the dangers of going backwards. You know, I, I found that he finds crazy stuff sometimes in reading and following up on material uh, that the, the emu, which is a flightless bird, the emu and the kangaroo cannot go backwards. Now, how many of you already knew that? Okay. The emu's uh, foot, if you will, is made with three toes. It's made in such a way that when it tries to go backwards, it falls. And the kangaroo, well, the kangaroo has problems if you ever look behind of a kangaroo and trying to back up. And I'm saying, God, you know, that's the way I want to do. I want to be where I just don't, it's not too easy for me to go backwards. I don't want to go that way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. This is one that we're hitting on a few times this month. And I'm going to be walking through these things through our time of fasting for the next two or three weeks. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, or if you're reading King James, it says brethren. Brothers and sisters... I have not achieved it. In other words, perfection. Paul says, I'm not perfect yet. But I focus on this one thing. He says, this one thing I do. I've not achieved that place. It's still room for growth. But forgetting the past. One thing I do, forgetting the past and looking forward to what is ahead. I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God through Christ is calling me. I, I'm going to look, I'm not going to continue to look toward the past. I'm going to press on toward the future. Press on literally means to move forward with determination and force and pursue and seek eagerly. So this is something that needs to get down deep inside of you and me to say, Lord, in, in pursuing your will and uh, Lord, what you have uh, planned for me and of what you have for me and all these things that you want me to walk in experience. But I, I want to learn to pursue it. I, I want to learn to be determined in my walk with you. Sometimes we, we have some setbacks, but never let a letdown keep you down. Be determined you're going to press on, press on, press on with determination. Those two things we're going to look at this morning. First of all, is if you're going to take the steps to moving forward, you've got to unload some weights. You've got to unload some extra baggage. The weights of the past. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to chapter 11, where it's talking about the great people of faith who've already died and are, 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 are with the Lord. It says, uh, they, are, they are witnesses. They, they testify by their lives. They testify the greatness of faith. Uh, the faithfulness of God it says, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares or besets us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to the author, the champion, the pioneer and finisher of our faith, one who initiates and perfects our faith. It says lay aside uh, that sometimes that's used in the New Testament is talking about taking off the dirty clothes at the end of the day. But the primary use in the New Testament comes from a compound Greek word, apothemy. And this particular word is an interesting word because it gives us a picture of someone that's, that's laying something down, but while they're laying it down, they're pushing it away from them. It's not just sitting it down. You know, sometimes we set something down, but we set it close enough to us so we can pick it back up. That's the way we are sometimes with things in our life that really we need to be rid of. We lay it down there, but just in case... 
But this picture of lay aside is lay it aside, put it down and push it away beyond your reach where you don't go back. What a powerful word. Lay aside. Um, and, you know, how does that speak to you? Then the weight, lay aside the weight in the Greek, uh, it's just talking about something. It's, it's kind of an athletic term. It talks about putting off the weight that keeps you from running the race successfully. Then there's not only the weight of the past, but there's the weight of cares and worry. Loaded down with worry. I love the words about Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all of you, all you who labor are weary, heavy laden, that carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus says, you know, you got worries, you weighed down by, by all these fears and you, you, anxiety. He says, come to me. Come to me. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 tells us to cast all your cares. Cast all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. That is a deliberate, intentional act of faith saying, I'm unloading this. You have taken care of all this, Lord. I'm trusting you. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the Bible says he cares for you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Can I say that again? This is what the scripture says about God and you. It says that he cares for you and he watches over you with deepest affection and with great care. And we think about God, an awesome creator, all powerful, and he is. It's difficult for us to get it inside that he's also the God who cares deeply about you and me. Another weight that we need to lay down is our distractions, the weight of distractions. A lot of the songs we sang this morning had to do with Jesus being first, and focusing on him and being the one that we need. Oftentimes we sing that and we think about it, but then when we practically try to walk it out, it doesn't quite seem to work that way. But we can get a lot of distractions in our life that takes us away from what's really important, right? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 says, Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. You know, the trouble is oftentimes when we're trying to go forward is that we're either looking backwards and we're missing out there or we're looking all around us and seeing everything else that's going on instead of looking forward the way that God wants us to go. Getting his direction. The Bible says fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on things that are above. His will, his purpose. Stay focused. Stay focused on the things that are really, really important. In the parable of the sower and the seed, it's in all the gospels pretty much, and three of them in particular. But it talks about the, the cares of the world, the lure of wealth and the desire of other things that can come in and choke the word. Choke what God wants to deposit inside of you. 
You can allow all these things around you to choke that. Interesting verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. Now, he just, Paul's just gotten through talking about marriage. And basically what he said in this is that it's better that you don't get married. <clears throat> well, it's too late for most of us. But what did he mean there? Did he mean that we need to just all be Roman Catholic? That we need to, you know, just... But no, what, what he, he wasn't speaking against marriage because if you go through the rest of Scripture, he has a lot of information about marriage. Scripture talks about marriage. Marriage is God's design and plan. So what's he saying? He's not saying marriage is a bad thing. First of all, I think in this period of time, he anticipated the Lord's coming very, 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 very soon. About 2,000 later. So he was saying, it's urgent. This is urgent. We need to share the gospel. We need to... To, to see the kingdom of God. People need the gospel. We need to put all of our effort, all of our energy into this. Don't let anything distract you from, from God's purpose for your life. And he was seeing in some ways that many people allow relationships to be distractions. Not just a marriage relationship. Allows relationships to distract them. Keep them from hearing the Lord, following the Lord completely. And here's what he says about I'll take it in general, not toward marriage, but here's, here's, here's the truth of Scripture. It says, uh, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you or to say, don't get married or have uh, uh, this as part of your life. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. King James says, I want you to do to serve the Lord the very best that you can without distractions. He's saying, the reason I'm saying this is is that these things can often distract. I want, I want your life to be where you have very little or no distractions in your life. Well, we say, yeah, you, it's, it's hard. You can't live without some distractions. There's going to be things that get your attention, absolutely. But we can allow distractions to take us away from what's really important. We can be so distracted by things that that's where we pay, that's where we pay most attention instead of paying attention to what's really valuable and important. And so in essence, what we're saying is you can't let all these other peripheral things keep you from following and knowing what is most important, what's most valuable. But it's easy to do. And he said, you know, get rid of those distractions that are holding you back, that weight. The second thing, the final thing we'll talk about this morning is, and steps to moving forward is, and I know this Sounds kind of religious, kind of preachery, kind of simplistic in a way. But it is a vital truth is if we're going to go forward, you and I must come to a place where we make the Word, where we make the Word of God a priority in our life. Now, I could do the typical thing this morning of saying, well, we all just need to read our Bibles more. You need to read your Bible at least 30 minutes a day. You need to read through the Bible a particular period of time. And it's important to read the Scripture, Absolutely. But if I were to ask, and I'm not asking for raising the hands or anything, but if I were to ask about the time that you spend in the Word, the times you spend reading the Bible, or how important the Bible really is in your life as far as the attention that you give it, the time you spend in it, where would you be with that? You know, I'm not preaching at anyone or cute. I'm just saying this is a time for evaluation. Ask yourself, how important is the Word of God to me? And why isn't it? If it's not as important as it should be, why isn't it? And that's the question that, that's so big to me is, okay, 
if I don't give the attention and time and priority to the word of God, then why don't I? Why don't I? And we're going to try to answer that question. You know, the, in the Bible, the word, uh, we talk about the word of God. There's two Greek words. One is the word logos. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word logos, and the word was with God, and the word logos was God. That's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. He was with God. He was God. Jesus is referred to as the Word. He is the personal, he is the personification of the written and spoken Word. So one of the names when we refer to Christ is he is the Word. That's true. But also Logos is, is as a part of that, along with that, Logos is referring to the written Word, the Scripture, your Bible. It's the written revelation of God. It does not change, although you may have different translations. It, the, the truth of God does not change, and it does not pass away. When you look at the Bible, I think I, this, you could spend weeks on this, but let me run through this. When you look at the Scripture, the Bible, whether it's on your phone or some media device, or you actually have a real Bible there in your hands, paper, uh, if, if that's the case, when you look at that, when we see that, what, what do we see? What do we really see? Those words that you have before you, as those words were originally given, as the Holy Spirit inspired men to give them, as they are God-breathed words, as originally given, they're infallible, they are inerrant, the inherent word of God. When they are properly understood, they have no contradictions. God watched over his word, even when it was just, a, uh, uh, when it was just words, uh, a narrative that was being passed down from generation to generation. But as it was recorded, God watched over the Holy Spirit, if you will, superintended his word to bring to us, even in our day, an accurate, an accurate, authoritative, reliable word from him. The Bible is true. The words of the Bible are true. It stood the test of time. It stood the test of criticism. It stood the test of attacks. It's still with us. It will not go away. The testimony, the word of God, God himself declares the scripture as his word. Jesus, uh, Jesus spoke several scriptures. If you go through, you can see that Jesus affirmed the truth of the scripture. The very fact of the thousands of prophecies that have been fulfilled to the T, which would be, would be completely impossible. But they have been fulfilled. It's because it's supernatural. The Bible is the Word of God. And one of the great evidences that the Bible is the Word of God is the fact that of transformed lives. Lives that have been changed through the Scripture. Some of those lives are right here in this building. The transformation that the Word of God brings in our lives. The other word, not just logos, but the other word that's oftentimes used in Greek for the word, the Word of God, is the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Greek word rhema, which literally means utterance. It's the personal speaking of God at a particular instant or the present spoken word. You don't ever substitute what some, uh, if I were to say, Thus saith the Lord. If I were to say, the Lord has spoken to me and this is what he says. If I'm sharing that with you. There, there are some things you need 
These are things that you need to consider. I guess one way you need to consider how reliable and trustworthy I am as an individual. I've approved myself. But you also need to recognize that, that what I say should always line up with what the written word says. Never contradicts what the Bible says. What I say is not the inspired, infallible word of God unless I'm saying specifically the scripture, the word of God. But also, how can I say this? Because people have really missed this in some ways. We have a lot of people out here today who says, I have a word from the Lord. I have a word from the Lord. And that can be true. I'm just saying that sometimes it's just a word from them. Sometimes it's just something that's been, that they emotionally hear or that they have other agendas in sharing it. But there is, a, there is a legitimate, true way that you and I as Christians can have and should have a word from the Lord. When we pray, and maybe you don't have the scripture in front of you. Maybe you're not reading verse of scripture as you're praying. But when you pray, haven't you ever, haven't you ever heard Something down within, something deep in there that wasn't you, that was beyond you, that you knew was the Lord, that he spoke to you and he, he uttered it, he spoke it to you. That was Rama. That was God personally speaking to you in that particular situation. Have you ever been trying to share with someone, maybe to help them witness to them? And, and as you're sharing with them, something rises up within you and suddenly you begin sharing maybe certain scripture or things that God brings to mind that is rhema it is taking the written word and quickening or making it instant and present in you remember it always aligns with his written word some of us today need to see that more in our lives to where we recognize that there is the ability to hear from the Lord and God will speak to you today. How many of you have ever had a word from the Lord? Many of you have. I certainly have. I've been in situations and I remember times when, uh, when maybe you're facing some particular type of danger or going through a time of, of really important uh, decision making, important decision to make. And in approaching that, certainly you'd study the scripture, look for God's guidance. But in approaching that, there was something that welled up inside of you. There was something that God made. Sometimes we say this, I was reading the scripture and the word just stood out to me. Rhema. Rhema. It was God taking that and uttering it to you. making it. Does that make any sense to you guys? It, it, it is it's so important. People say, well, you know, I really, the Bible, I, I really believe it's God's word, scripture. I, I believe it. But sometimes it's just saying, it's so hard to make it a regular practice of my life and to spend so much time in it. I, how, many of you, how many of us really love the word? How many of us would rather spend time in the word than we had to sit down at a, at a big, nice meal? Uh, how, you know, how many of us would rather be in the word than we have sitting in a championship ball game? I'm not saying it has to be either or. I'm just saying, what is it that we desire the most and why? Why do we desire those things more than we do his word? People say it's just boring. The Bible's just too boring. Now, you need to understand that boring is akin to familiarity. Familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, oftentimes, the better you know something, 
the more you take it for granted. People do this with their spouses. Yes? I see some of you laughing. You don't necessarily say an amen. But if, you get some, if, you, if you're around something all the time, it's for instance, there's a lot of places that don't have the opportunity, that don't have the blessing that you and I have already had in worshiping together with this group of worship leaders. You go some other places, you can appreciate it. Sometimes we have, the well has to go dry before we get thirsty, it seems. But it's important for, for you and I to come to a place where actually we desire to know his word. But how in the world do we do that? I am, I've been around for several years now. And it can still be a challenge to do that. But the things I'm talking about this morning, I've known this for a long time. But how many of you know knowing something and doing it can be two very different things? Yes? So it's boring. People are so familiar with certain amount of script, certain passages of Scripture that the moment we hear, we say, man, I heard that before. I already know that. You know, God's Word, is, uh, His written Word is actually living in a sense that it's, it's living and powerful, the Hebrew says, which means that I don't care if you've read John 3.16 uh, half a million times. God can still speak through John 3.16 to you, but we'll just glaze right on over it sometimes. Familiarity can hinder It's kin to boredom. So why is it boring? Well, some people say, oh, it's just so difficult to understand. A lot of times it's just a cop-out. We don't want to make the effort. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that are difficult to do that people go ahead and do them because they really want to. They really interesting. But it's just too difficult. We'll find you a good, reliable translation. You don't, you know, if it's a King James for you, that's fine. But, you know, uh, find you a good, reliable, something that's true to the original Greek and Hebrew. And there's all kinds of information. I'll help you with that if you need some. But find a good, reliable translation that you can read and really understand. One of the reasons it's boring to us is because of depleted passion. You know, if, if you're so passionate about other things, it robs you of the ability to be passionate about perhaps the most important thing. Distractions we've already talked about. For instance, for instance, you can, why is everything, getting ready for fasting, why are all these eating examples coming up here? But suppose you're getting ready, suppose uh, you've been eating. Now, some of you are kind of like me. I'm a grazer, you know. It's just kind of there's food there throughout the day. But, but you eat and you eat. Sometimes you eat when you don't even really want it. But you just eat and you eat. And then it's meal time. And then here's the big meal spread out before you. And you're not very hungry. You, you are, you're not very passionate about eating. Why? Because you've already filled your, you've already filled your life with all these other things. And we do that in life. We fill ourselves with all these other things so there's not much room left for passion for the Word of God. Another reason why it seems boring to some people is because they do not value it or see it as really a word from God. We see the Bible. It's words on paper. We've, we've, uh, we've had it. We, most of us here in the United States, we've had a Bible our whole life. Maybe more than one. 
And we, we read those verses from the scripture. And oftentimes we still do not connect to the fact that this is God Almighty. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who created. The one who restored. The one that is forever. The one that is all powerful. That has given his word, his letter to you and me. This is not just some man's writing. This is the word of God. And if we see it as the word of God. How could it be boring to us? Another reason it might be boring is because we're disregarding the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the scripture. So in conjunction reading the scripture, you need to be prayerful and say, Holy Spirit, guide me in this. Open up the word to me. It can be boring because we have a disinterest in applying it. In other words, I'll read it, but I don't want to do it. So how do I make? I bring things down to a close by how do I make the word a priority in my life? First of all, I've got to do exactly that. Recognize it as the final authority. It produces faith in me. That's we cannot have faith apart from the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And it governs, the word of God should govern our first response to something. Now think about that. Usually we react according to feelings, emotions, the news we hear. If we can come to a place to where what the word says governs our first response to situations, it will transform our lives. It guides our decisions, our actions. Also, to make the word a priority, we need to, as I mentioned before, ask the Holy Spirit to help us. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that the word of God was given, inspired, God breathed to us. 2 Peter 1.21 says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. John 16.13 says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit. We use this verse at at um, funerals sometimes, but it's really not referring, it's really not funereal in that sense. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's true. We cannot describe heaven. We cannot adequately describe heaven, though some have tried. It's beyond what we could imagine. We believe that. But I don't think the main focus on this is heaven and eternity because when he says eyes not seen nor ear heard nor is entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, don't leave out verse 10. But God has revealed. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. You may not recognize something physically or with your, your, your physical, your eyes, your senses or whatever. But the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you in this life and about the life to come. So when you're reading the scripture, you can say, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, open this word up to me and speak to me through it. Be intentional. If you're going to make the word a priority, then you got to be intentional about it. Schedule it in your life. It's important for us to be systematic every day. Make space, make room. And... And invest some time there. I'm not saying a certain amount of time. Invest some time there. Actually in the scripture. But it should also be spontaneous. So it's not about I will have my Bible reading time. And then I will not read the Bible again. Until tomorrow at my Bible reading time. It should be a spontaneity about loving the scripture. And wanting to spend some time in it. Guard your time. And be present during that time. So we've got to be intentional about it. We need to say it. 
One of the ways that the word of God can be prior in life is we learn to confess it and say it. To line up our speech with what God has already said. Speak it in faith. The Bible says believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Mark eleven twenty three says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. The importance, the, the power of words, the importance of what is released when you actually vocally speak out the word of God. That means confessing you are aligning with it. You are agreeing with what the word says. So be intentional, say it, and then pray it. As we've talked about this before, learn how to take the Word of God and personalize it so that when you're reading that Scripture and you see the promises of God in it and you see the things that, the, the, the things that He's telling us to do, the guidance that He's given, learn to apply it in your prayer life. Learn to recognize the context, know what it means, but then set, select applicable, in other words, select applicable, applicable verses for your particular situation. This is nothing new to, to us. Personalize it. In other words, if you, if you are dealing with something as far as a physical illness, then there's so many scriptures that have to do with God's provision of healing. If it's with financial situations, there's so many verses in the scripture about God's supply, uh, about uh, financial blessings, about the importance of, of learning how to give and to receive. So many things, whatever your situation, God has a word for you. And if you learn to focus on those scriptures while you're going through particular situations in your life and then pray it for you, instead of it being a psalm of David, it's a psalm of whoever you are. Or for David, it'd still be a psalm of David. But in other words, it's your psalm. It's your word. It's your promise. The last thing is, none of it, none of it, it really won't change anything unless we practice it. Unless, if we're going to make the Word of God important to us, then do what it says. Do what it says. Lord, create in us a genuine hunger and desire for your Word. I remove the weights that's holding me back and I learn to make the Word of God a, a priority in my life. Those are two steps. We'll get five more. Those are two steps that we begin walking through to take us forward in our spiritual life and growth in God's plan for 2022. Can think of no more important place to start. I hope you've heard some things spoken to your heart that challenged you. That'll help you. Let's stand. Father, what a wonderful time of praise and worship and, and how blessed we are to get to just be with each other. I thank you for each one here today. So grateful for each one of them. I pray that they've been blessed by this time, that they've been challenged and and heard from you today in ways that will help them. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will open all of our hearts to receive your word. That we will say, Holy Spirit, we want to hear. We want to know. 
God, open our hearts. We make the decision today, here at the first part of the year, that this year will be better. And this year, Lord, first of all, we dedicate it to you. It's yours. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless each one. Help them to walk from this place with a sense of encouragement and joy that we love your word and that we follow it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Give God praise and glory before you go. Come on. Praise you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Amen.